Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Over the course of our series on spiritual gifts, you've had an opportunity to hear some testimonies, not only from church staff, but church leadership. And so today, we are blessed to hear about one of the three gifts that we're going to focus on today, administration, leadership, and knowledge. And you're going to get to hear from our church administrator, Debbie Bibbins, on her gift of administration. I'm Debbie Bibbins, and I've served on the staff of Crozet United Methodist Church as the Church Administrative Manager since November 2022. My top three gifts are administration, miracles, and healing, with administration being my primary gift. According to the Spiritual Gifts Inventory, administration is defined as the gift of organizing human and material resources for the work of Christ, including the ability to plan and work with people to delegate responsibilities, track progress, and evaluate the effectiveness of procedures. Administrators attend to details, communicate effectively, and take as much pleasure in working behind the scenes as they do in standing in the spotlight. I was not surprised to find that administration is my primary gift. Prior to joining the staff at CUMC, I spent over 25 years in administration for nonprofit organizations with 23 of those years at Mary Baldwin University. I've served in positions such as operations management, administration management, budget planning, and most recently senior accounting. I love the unchanging nature of numbers, one plus one is always two, and I love working with lots of detail and synthesizing those details into useful information. I love the creative side of administration that has allowed me to create workflow processes and lean procedures, seek continual improvement, and solve challenges. In my personal life, I love working on puzzles, and running the administrative side of an organization is very much like putting a puzzle together. God has been so very good to me, and when I look back over my life, I can see how he has used me in positions of administration throughout many years. And he has blessed me with opportunities and education that have developed my spiritual gift of administration. The opportunity for me to step into the role of church administrative manager here at the church was one of those pivotal God moments in my life where he so beautifully ordered my steps and his leading was so very clear. I am grateful to have the opportunity to serve him in my role as church administrative manager at Crozet United Methodist Church. Grateful to have Debbie as not only our administrator, but one of our siblings in Christ. And where is she? She's over here. And in our choir. And so we're grateful for all of that because of the four of us, myself, Debbie, Gary, our director of music and arts, and Bart, our director of communications and marketing, what you'll find is that three of us lean heavily into the creative side of church life. And you always need somebody who is very well grounded in the administrative side to keep the rest of us 
tied down a little bit. Otherwise, we can go a little crazy. And so Debbie has not only been a good tether, a firm foundation, and part of what makes the church thrive, but what's beautiful about Debbie's skills is that she recognizes that not only is she called to that, is she good at that, but somehow, God love her, she enjoys it. And so that's, a, that's an incredible thing because, I mean, I have to order my life uh, and order the life of my son and I handle our finances and I handle our calendar. Uh, that's one thing, I have to do it. But the complexity of the church's fiscal life, the, ch- the complexity of just the church calendar, space reservations, trying to get everything in order is so incredible that you would not want me doing it. You're much blood- best... Uh, better blessed with Debbie doing it because she has been gifted by God to see all of the moving parts and to have an appreciation for where they all are. Sometimes um, the rest of us can become so kind of tunnel visioned in our own moving parts that it's hard to see anybody else's. And so you need someone with administrative gifts. And oftentimes those get overlooked as, as gifts in the church. Yes, you need people to administer. The longer that the church persisted, the longer that the church went on from the early days when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, the more that administration became necessary. The more that you had to have somebody tracking the finances and making them available for mission and ministry, the more that you needed somebody to help make sure that the church was observing things that are not only crucial but also liturgical. And so you had people who started to emerge with that gift. And so Debbie is right. She has a deep awareness of how all the parts of the body of Christ work together to achieve its goals. And then you have leadership as another important aspect of spiritual gift. You might not think about that, but there are people who are not ordained clergy who have been gifted and called to leadership. That's one of their spiritual gifts. They are visionary and forward-looking with that gift. It enables people to stay focused on where God might be leading us. Leaders in the church are not just about the here and now. They are about tomorrow and where God is taking us into a bright and beautiful future. They motivate others to work together to help us achieve more together than on our own. So many times when you are a part of a church, you realize that the church is able to do things that you could never do on your own. You might not even imagine doing that, but because of working together, we are able to accomplish so much more. And that is truly a gift to be a part of something that is greater than the summation of its parts. Because when we join together as the body of Christ in the church, we are joined by Jesus. And what we can do with Christ is bigger than any organization in the world. We are able to truly not just change lives, but change hearts and minds and the world. And that is what we are able to do together. And the last of these is knowledge, which is separate from wisdom. Way back in the beginning of the series, you heard Bart talk about wisdom and how often he finds himself in that position to bring together a wide variety of knowledge and experience and then have that in order to see beyond the bare facts. He's able to almost intuit certain things that God has given him. And so people often run things through Bart or turn to Bart for knowledge, but for wisdom. But knowledge says that it allows the automatic conversion of facts, data, and information into useful and important information. Often these are voracious and insatiable people when it comes to their desire to learn more. They seek to deepen their understanding of God's will, God's world, and God's people. 
And so all three of those, administration, leadership, and knowledge, become crucial for any kind of church that wants to continue to move forward in its life and in its vitality. Otherwise, what ends up happening is, even though people have the heart of Jesus Christ, they can become too divergent, and you can't go forward if people are going off in different directions or people are trying to stay behind. We must all come together. And so these leadership and administrative gifts and the knowledge all of that is helping us to move forward because we are not meant to stay stagnant. Yes, we have a building that is not moving anywhere, but in the beginning, God gave us the tabernacle, a mobile mission center, so that we could be on the move. Now it is we in small groups, or we in pairs, or we as the, the body moving bigger out into the world, but the church building itself stays where it is. So it is incumbent upon us to be the momentum forward now. But when it comes to knowledge, one of the things to think about if, for, for either you who are gifted in knowledge or you who have, know people who are gifted in knowledge is that sometimes you might be thinking, what is the point of even learning about this? What is the point of this? Because you think to yourself, there's no way that's going to be useful. In fact, at one point, Luke's father said to me, you know, if this pastor thing doesn't pan out, you're going to have two really useless degrees. Because my undergraduate degree is in non-Christian religion and my master's degree is in Christian divinity. So yeah, those don't really translate very well into like Amazon or Tesla, right? They're not going to translate very well. So instead, I've, I've got all this knowledge that is really useful for one place, but a lot of people couldn't see what the point of the knowledge was. And I can tell you, there have been so many times in my life where some of my colleagues were like, why would you bother to get educated in non-Christian religion? You're a Christian pastor. Absolutely I am. But it's amazing how sometimes that knowledge has been helpful. For instance, one time I was doing my chaplaincy rotation, which is part of the requirement in order to become an ordained elder or deacon in the United Methodist Church of the Virginia Annual Conference. And so I was a chaplain at Norfolk General, which was a level one trauma hospital, and a young man had come in, and when I went to go visit him, as soon as he had been assigned a room, found out that he was Muslim. And uh, another chaplain had joined me in this trip, and I said, would you like a copy of the Quran? And he said, I would really like a copy of the Quran. And I said, would you like it in English, or would you like it in Arabic? He said, I can read Arabic, so I would like it if you could find one in Arabic. I said, I will find that for you. And then when we got back out in the hall, the other chaplain goes, how did you know to even ask that? Because I studied Islam. <laughs> I studied Islam. I knew that this person was going to want a copy of his Quran. And so I was able to get him a copy of the Quran in Arabic and English. It had English on the other side. And so he was able to have that as he was healing in body. He was able to continue to nourish his spirit. And then, of course, you see other places where sometimes you just have that fact you know, that little piece of knowledge that comes out, and people are like, how did you know that? It's not just for Jeopardy, people. It's not just for Jeopardy. Sometimes you need this in ministry. Sometimes you need those, that knowledge. And so those people working together with leadership and administration help us to grow. It's so important to be able to do that because, as I said, there are so many churches that have money and don't know how to use it. There are so many churches that don't have money because they haven't been good administrially with their money. 
And so all of these things are important. You're looking for a good unity. We are looking for diversity. I mentioned to you that the, the concept of ordering our steps or ordering our lives comes from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. But what we often don't think about is that God has created diversity from the very beginning. Diversity seems to be truly important to our God because God created not just one type of butterfly, not just one type of snake, but so many different kinds, so many different kinds of sharks. There is wide diversity in creation. And now you could have theological debates all day long over whether that was exactly how it was in chapter one and chapter two of Genesis or whether that unfolded or whether there's evolution and all of that. But the point is that if God didn't like the diversity, God knows how to wipe it clean and start again. So God seems to enjoy the diversity. And we, as the body of Christ, are called to be just as diverse. Sometimes we get into congregations and even denominations that prioritize certain gifts, but every gift is vital. Amen. You need all the gifts. And part of what's incumbent upon us after all of these weeks of talking about spiritual gifts is to not just identify what our gifts are, but to cultivate them and to apply them and to use them. And a truly maturing Christian will look at the body of Christ in which they are active or belong, and they will look to see where my gift might be useful. Where are they missing my gift and where might I use that? Because sometimes we don't even know how blind we are until we bump into something. And so we need to know what we are missing. We need to know who has those, who have those gifts so that we can use them. And now we could play the game where I try to figure out what your gifts are and I like, do you have this gift? Do you have this gift? Do you have this gift? Or we can all make Jesus happy and somebody can be like, hey, I have this gift. Where can I use my gift? Where can I use my gift? Because all of these gifts are, being, are meant to be used together. And in between worship services, I was with our youth downstairs doing the second part of our youth study, and we've been studying this text now for two sessions. And in the study of the text, I used a sports metaphor, which is really weird for me. But I've been picking up facts from Bart and some of our youth. And so I said, it doesn't matter how awesome of a quarterback you are if you don't have anybody to receive, if you don't have anybody to run de you know, defense for you, if you don't have a team, you can be as awesome as you are, but you're not going to win any championships for Jesus Christ. You need to have others. And notice, it's not a whole team of quarterbacks. That's a lot of a lot of stuff happening there with a whole bunch. I'm thinking about like all the professional quarterbacks I've ever met, and I'm like, that would be a lot of personality. A lot of personality, a whole team of that. But you know, you can see this when you get into a gathering of all the same people. Even with leaders, you need leaders of leaders, right? So every now and then I have to go to a clergy event, and it's a whole room full of clergy, and then we're all sitting there like, is anybody leading us? You got a whole room of leaders, and then you sit in that awkwardness until you know who the leader is. You're almost hoping that a district superintendent or a bishop shows up, because otherwise there's this awkward lull where nothing happens, because none of us wants to be like, I will lead, because all the rest are like, oh, of course, she thinks she's going to lead. She always thinks she has got to lead. And then the rest of us are like, why don't you lead? I don't want to lead. You lead. I'm like, why don't you want to lead? You're a leader. Well, I don't want to lead these people. Right? No, you have, to, you have to know who your leader is. You have to know who's being called to lead in that moment. And sometimes you lead from the front, and sometimes you lead from the back. You have to figure that out. And together we do that as the body of Christ. Where are we being called to go together? 
Your only leadership in United Methodism is not ordained clergy. In this church and in other Methodist churches, there is a council in our, in our church because we have a simplified accountable structure. We have one church council. And so that council is laity who are partnered with me and we lead you and they outnumber me. So all of those different gifts, all of those different perspectives, all that um, combining of knowledge and experience, all of that is coming to the room instead of just my perspective. There are other Christian denominations where the clergy is the leader and their understanding is what is moving us forward. But here, we are in this together. It's like if you could go into the brain of the body of Christ, you would see that it's not just a clergy voice that's happening in there. All the voices in the head reflect different gifts and different people. And that's what we're called to do because the diversity is important. One time I was with a family member and we were at a zoo and I have always had a love for animals. I've you know, studied biology. I kept studying oceanography just to show God that I did have a backup plan if this whole clergy thing didn't work out. And so I've always just had this joy of going to like aquariums and zoos and seeing animals in uh, refuges and in um, places where they're being rehabilitated. And so we were at a zoo with a family member and then you know how you get into like the reptile house and it's a little dark it's a little creepy. And then all of a sudden, the family member was like all up on me. And I was like, why, why are you doing that? And they were like, I don't like snakes. Well, that would have been good to know before we walked into the big dark snake house. So we're walking around because I'm not going to have my snake experience truncated because somebody's scared, right? So I'm like, all right, come on. And we're looking at the snakes. And every time we look at the snake and there's a bigger, scarier snake, they're like, ooh. Right? And then we finally get out, because you know when you start to walk toward the door, you can see the light of day, and you get out, and they're like, <gasps> okay, okay. And I'm like, all right, are we better now? And they're like, yes. And I was like, isn't it amazing how many different snakes there are? You have snakes that bite, you have snakes that are constrictors, you have vipers, you have, all, you have snakes that only live in the ocean. You got sea snakes, you got different color snakes. They have all kinds of different varieties and sizes and shapes and forms. And you have some that you want because they eat the mice. And then you have some that you don't want because they eat your kids. You know, you have all kinds of different snakes. And I was kind of having this moment talking about how great snakes were. And I was like, do you want to go back in? And they were like, no! No, I don't want to go back in there. I'm going to appreciate the diversity of snakes from out here. Right? Some snakes, you know, you think about, you think about how God has gifted snakes to be part of the control of the habitat where they are. And then when we mix them, like bringing them from Asia to um, Florida, it doesn't work out so well. And then you realize that that's why snakes have specialties. They have specialties. Some of them are there as apex predators. Some of them are there as midway predators that are helping to navigate both the top and the bottom of the food chain. Some of them just really should be a pair of shoes. You know, it all depends. But the diversity is important. And God gives us diversity. And so the body of Christ should express that diversity. We can't all have the same gifts. Paul was addressing that problem in Corinth. Corinth was having a problem because everybody had become factioned. Everybody was like, whoa, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Paul Christian. I'm a Pauline Christian. Paul was my guy. I'm a fan of Paul. He's the one that taught me. And somebody over here is like, oh, well, Apollo's taught me. And somebody's like, I'm a big fan of Peter, of Cephas. Cephas is my leader. And so they couldn't work together because they were too busy being broken up into different parties. I know we don't do that in American society ever. 
but they were broken up and they couldn't be united. And so Paul was writing them and saying, what unites you is Christ. You are united in the body of Christ and you are all individually members, but you don't lose your identity, but your identity needs to come here and we subvert everything to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reigns over everything. It doesn't matter if you're Pauline. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican. It doesn't matter if you're a natural-born citizen. It does not matter because here Christ reigns over all. That is the constant. Debbie told you that one of the things she loves about numbers is that they are stable and consistent. One plus one equals two. Except in the church, where one plus one plus one equals one. That's the trinity. One plus one plus one equals one. And that is the part of our faith that is irrational, and yet it is true. God revealed God's self to us in the diversity and the plurality of the Trinity, and that is a response to our inability to fully comprehend, to respect, to honor, and follow God when all we knew was God the Father. There are so many books of the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament, where God is revealing God's self, revealing God's heart, through God the Father and in the interactions with the people, and people just can't get on board. And so in the fullness of time, God came to us again in God the Holy Son. Christ is God incarnate. Christ is who we know as Jesus of Nazareth, and for the first time, so many people went, yes, Yes, this is a God who knows what it is like to be me. This is a God that hasn't just seen me with human eyes. It is seeing through human eyes to know what it is like to be here. This is a God that understands as your body ages and the pain in the heart and in this world. This is a God who knows in a way that is deeper and more profound than words what it is to be you. And for some people, that changed everything. But then there were others. There were others that needed even more than that. There were some that needed the kind of profound personal relationship with our triune God that couldn't be explained in the Old Testament, and it's not really fully explained in the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, and instead Pentecost and the embodiment of the Holy Spirit is theirs. When God said to us, I will give you a piece of myself to not just indwell in you, but to dwell here forever. And sometimes we don't appreciate how privileged we are to have that. You know, if you have been baptized and you have received a portion of the Holy Spirit, that pouring out that happens in the baptismal waters and that indwelling that remains after the waters dry, then you are getting to live a truth that no one in the Old Testament lived. You have an experience and an encounter and a truth, a reality of God that is actually deeper than what Moses had. Moses didn't have a whole lifetime of the indwelling of the Spirit of the Lord. Neither did Elijah, neither did Jonah or Hosea or Malachi. None of them did, but you do. And if you don't have it and you want it, it is yours. Because the Holy Spirit says, you invoke my presence and I will come. And so, yes, it is important for us to realize that everywhere God is telling us that unity through the diversity is important. 
We can be as different as we want. We can't all be apostles. That means those who are sent. We can't all be prophets, those who are calling God's people back because you gotta have somebody to call back. You can't all be teachers. Some of us need to be students. You can't all be preachers. Somebody needs to listen. You need diversity. And sometimes I think the church is at its best when we reflect that not only in the congregation and in the laity, but in the clergy. There's a part of me that has always wanted to be a part of a clergy team. And I'm not just talking about like a dynamic duo, I've had that. But sometimes I look and I'm like, oh my gosh, look how awesome it is to have multiple clergy. And like, that's his specialty, and that's her specialty. And together they form like this Voltron of clergy. And they come together and make this amazing amalgamation of what God can do in ordained ministry. That's really amazing. But that kind of thing can happen in any church with laity who know their gifts and are committed to using them. You can do that. And you must. And you must, and I realized that this past week as I had a meeting in downtown Charlottesville, and it had been quite a few months since I had been in downtown Charlottesville, and so when I got there, it was kind of dusk, it was changing into nighttime, and I parked my car, and it was in that lot that's across the street from the park where the statue used to be, you remember that whole debacle? The statue, and on the other side of that park is one of our sibling churches in Methodism, First United Methodist Church in Charlottesville, is right there. And so as I got out of my car and I started to get myself in order to walk down to the Catholic Church, the Church of the Incarnation, where we were meeting, I looked up and I saw tents, which I had not seen before. And I very quickly looked and I saw one, two, three, about a dozen tents. And so I got to the meeting and I sat down and the Monsignor, the priest who's in charge of the Church of the Incarnation was there and I said, you know, I, I, I haven't been here for a while and I realized that there's like a dozen tents out in the park. And he goes, no, there's not a dozen, there are dozens. There's about 40 tents. And I thought, and it was before it got cold like today. It's going to get cold. And there are people living in tents and is that shelter, is it safe? Are they warm? You know, how do they tend to their needs? I mean, what is happening? They're just rife for victimization out there. What, what is happening here? And then I remembered that we know, love, and serve a homeless, itinerant Savior. And he tells us this in the Gospel accounts. He owns his homelessness because there was a man who saw Jesus and wanted to be in with the apostles. He wanted to be one of the 12. And he said to Jesus, I will follow you. Now, who knows why? Maybe he had that transformative encounter with Jesus. Maybe he saw something in Jesus that he just wanted to draw closer to, the charisma, the power, the strength, the presence, the incarnation, the miracles that was happening, the healing and the hope. Maybe he wanted to be a part of that. Maybe he saw an opportunity to be a part of something that was building momentum and he really wanted in now. But no matter what his reasons were, and the gospel does not tell us, it does tell us what Jesus said to him. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I thought about those people in the tents. And I know that people will see those other people in the tents and they won't see people in the tents, they'll see problems. 
but people are not problems. God has never looked at you and thought you were a problem. God knows, knows you have problems. God knew that you needed help with problems that you have, but God has never considered you a problem. God knew that you had things that you needed to be liberated from, and that's why Christ came and died on the cross, to give you liberation and hope from the biggest problems you will ever have, sin and death. But God never looked at you as a problem. And so it's hard sometimes for us to not look at other people and their circumstances and not see problems instead of people. But if Jesus were to come back today, he'd be living in a tent. And as I have continued throughout the days to think about those people, and I know that there are our siblings in Christ and other denominations and even in Methodism that are already trying to work on a solution because it has been filled with problems. I mean, there's resentment that they're even there. There's been safety violations. There's all kinds of things that are happening, but yet they are people and not problems. And so our siblings in Christ that are there are thinking about it. And I could be one of those Christians that comes home and goes, thank God that's not in Crozet. I could be one of those Christians that goes, let me just drive by Crozet Park just to be sure. I could be one of those Christians that goes, you know what? Not my problem. I can Pontius pilot this because that is not my problem, but people are not problems. These are children of God. These, some of them are our siblings in Christ. And that's why our skills, our gifts, and our faith are so important. Because I have no doubt by the number of blue and red lights that I saw as I was coming back to my car that there are a lot of people who consider those people to be problems. And I don't know how to fix it. I don't have the answers. I don't know. But I know who does. I know Jesus Christ does. And I know that Jesus Christ has given some people wisdom and discernment and compassion and those gifts that we need to figure out how do we help other people. Because right now it's in Charlottesville. But what if it comes to Crozet? And even if it never comes to Crozet, are they not our neighbors in Charlottesville? And sometimes you know what to do. Sometimes you can find the solution. On Monday, before I saw the tents, on Monday I came into the office and I had huge boxes from Amazon, all filled with the 25 backpacks that I told you about last week. And I unpacked them all and I laid them all out in a very orderly and OCD way on one of the couches in the front office. And I took a picture and I sent it to the staff person over at Henley to let them know they're here. You can come and get them at any time. And so on Tuesday, before I came into the office, the staff person showed up and was able to, with the other staff in the church, get them all together and get them carried over. And then a couple days later, I got a picture. I can't have pictures of the teenagers with them because that's a violation of confidentiality. However, I got a picture of the entire counseling staff holding pictures, and I will get you that picture so you can see it. Because if there is one thing I do know how to do, it's order from Amazon. There's a sign that hangs in my house, your house, the parsonage. There's a sign that hangs when you come in the house, and it says, this house runs on Jesus, coffee, and Amazon Prime. In that order. Because I'll tell you what, there's no amount of coffee or Amazon that can fix your life if you don't have Jesus. Now, I can use Jesus to help me utilize coffee and Amazon Prime. 
But sometimes you have to realize that in using your gifts, you aren't just helping others, you're helping yourself. Because maybe in some great serendipity, I had the experience of the backpacks and the Henley counseling staff before I discovered the people in the tents. And I can't fix the people in the tents. All of us have problems that we can't fix, that, you know, that we've been working on and we've been trying, or we, some of us have just given up hope on some things, and we know that we can't fix everything. But there are things that we can fix, and there are things that we can do, and our gifts can be used. And so in using our gifts and our skill set, and in using them, I was able to say to myself on my Sabbath on Friday, well, at least I know that we helped 25 students. 25 students. And they're going to grow and they're going to go to high school and some of them will go to college and some of them will go out into the workforce. And I found myself hoping that in the prayers that were answered in a backpack, and by the way, what kind of statement is that? That prayers for a backpack are a need in our community. But in, in supplying a backpack, we were able to answer some prayers. And maybe, maybe that will be part of the success of those students so that one day they're not living in a park in a tent. Because your gifts now are affecting the future. Your gifts, what you give fiscally, what you give of your time and your graces and your, your spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has endowed you with, those things are making a difference now and tomorrow. And the thing is that sometimes we can't help ourselves, so we help others. Jesus knew that he couldn't stop that from happening. And he knew when he started ministry at the age of 30 that three years later, that was going to wait him at the end of his earthly life. Did he spend all of his time wallowing in anxiety? Did he spend all of his time being bitter? Did he spend all of his time just focused on himself? No. In fact, the scriptures, all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us that repeatedly in his earthly ministry, even when he was tired and he had gone somewhere to be alone or to be refreshed and people came to them, he blessed them. And maybe what he was teaching us is, no matter how bad tomorrow looks, today you can bless. Today you can. And he did. And so shall we. Because we don't have a choice. God didn't give us what God has given us for us to walk away, to fail, to, to be enslaved to fear, or to think that we can't make a difference because we can. And I believe with all that I am standing here before you in this holy, consecrated space that this church can make a difference. $600, 25 backpacks. Did it change the world? Not on Tuesday, but wait. If only we could know what will happen to the 25 recipients 
And maybe we won't find out until we're all gathered in the kingdom to come, feasting at Christ's heavenly table. But one day somebody may have a story about, I was so in need and some church helped. And then through the grace of God, while you're sitting at that heavenly table eating and hearing this story, you might feel yourself going, that was us. That was her church. I never knew. But because of the administration and the leadership and the knowledge of this body of Christ, we were able to do that. You were able to do that. Because when you gave your gifts weeks and months beforehand, you didn't know that we were going to need to buy backpacks. I didn't know we were going to need to buy backpacks. You know who knew? And God used your gifts to provide. And that's what God did before. What is God going to do tomorrow? With you, there is no limit. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.